Welcome to the Cracked Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And if we sound a little different, it's because today we're doing our podcast via Zoom. Yeah, the, the wonders of technology. Yes. Um, maybe, maybe yeah. the wonders of technology. <laughs> we'll see if this actually winds up getting um, uploaded and, and produced and all that fun stuff. <laughs> um. But uh, yeah, Pastor Chad's feeling a little under the weather, so he's staying home. And so, yeah, actually, actually, feel better today. Except my voice is worse, so Ooh. that's all. Right. I have my raspy, sexy voice going on. Oh, there you go. All right. Yeah. Well, so we missed last week because you were on vacation, Disney. Hope you had a good time. It was magical. It was. It was so magical. It made you sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, you know, four days, however many thousands of people you come in contact with, eh, that's not shocking, but it was yeah. good. It's the amazing piece. Um, you know, if you don't believe in God, um, maybe this will tip the scales. Um, you take three kids, but Camden doesn't count only because, you know, he's old enough that you expect behavior. Um you take two kids under the age of 10, basically have them walk in the middle of June through 90 degree heat, waited in lines, and they were so well behaved. It's like, oh my God, there, there must be a God. No complaining? Um, no. Well, I mean, to say no complaining is... <laughs> is maybe a little over the top? <laughs> right. Because, I mean, let's face it as adults standing in line for that long in the heat, I mean, we complain, but, you know, I, I wouldn't say they really complained a whole lot more than, than we did as adults. So yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's proof that there's God. Yep. There you go. Uh, now, not, I will say not if, if you spend any time at Disney, you know that not all families are going to subscribe to that because you know, there are plenty of kids that were, you know, doing the, I'm going to drop down right, right, I'm going to drop down right here and throw a fit. So yeah, uh, my, my one attempt to go to Disney world, it rained and rained and rained. And um, we were still waiting in line to get on um, a ride that uh, we never got on because my friend's daughter was with her dad and decided to have such a meltdown that we had to leave and, and go back. So my, my one time trying Disney world was, was not a success. I got to ride one ride and it broke down. And the other ride I stood in line for, for at least an hour because it was broken down. And we had, we had rain for an hour. One day. That's it. Rain one day, which four days in Florida in the summer, you only get rain for like maybe an hour. Or that was the first day. Yep. Well, I was the, there not even in the rainy season and it literally just poured all day long. So, yeah. But anyway. Um, all right. So if we turn to the the past two texts we've had last week was um, your text that um, was on Rebecca. And then this yep. week I had my text, which was on Rachel and Leah, though I focused much more on Leah because we never really hear much about her. So I decided to kind of kind of focus my attention on on her story and, and her plight um, more than I did Rachel. So, but let's talk about Rebecca first, my namesake. Yeah. Um, well, let me. I'm actually going to pull up my notes 
because that seems so long ago. It was. It was almost two weeks ago. It was a week and a half ago. So that's in in pastor yeah. time. That was a really really long time. Ago. I was going to say yeah. In pastor time with a vacation in the middle. That's like forever <laughs> ago. Forever ago. Um, yeah. So let's let's just acknowledge that none of these stories are easy. No, they're not. Um, I mean, there's not. Not that I mean, there's lots of scripture that are not exactly easy to deal with and easy to tackle. Um, these texts certainly are not easy to tackle. So you kind of look for angles and ways into stories and go, okay, so this is the story. It's tough to hear. How can how can it be heard? Um, and how can how can we make these things heard? Um, and I think that's that's a challenge. So. So yeah, so the the text from the text of Rebecca, what I found most interesting in that text. So we 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 talked about this, and if you if you study any scripture for any period of time, you know that women were property. I mean, they were just sort of assets. Um, hey, I have some. I have a beautiful daughter. Woohoo! I can cash that in. Right. Um, That's the, she, I mean, she's I mean, a, a valuable commodity at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, it's again, I didn't make it up. I'm not saying that's right, um, but that's the reality. The reality is, women in biblical times, at this point in, in the, the state of the world, women were commodity to be traded. Um, and if you were, if you're lucky enough to have, if you if you had a son, awesome. You had an heir, and that was awesome. And you had someone to carry on the family business. And if you had a if you had a girl, well, then you have nice assets that you could trade. Yeah, um, and Sorry, it sucks, but that's just the way it was. What, what I found really so so because you're an asset, women were assets. They really didn't get a voice. Like they didn't say they didn't get a choice. Like hey, this is the deal, and we made this deal, and here you go. This is your husband. Woohoo! Be excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you like about be excited about it? And what I found really really interesting as you you know, sort of go through this this Rebecca text she gets a choice. Yeah. It's very unusual. And, uh, and it just, it just really, really struck me as it was gone through the text. I'm like, wait, oh, wait a minute. And, and I don't know. I guess I never really, I mean, if I'm being honest, I never really paid a whole lot of attention to this, to this part of the text. Anyway, it doesn't come up in the lectionary. Right. You know, it's not, you know, so oftentimes the texts that aren't in the lectionary we're less familiar with, we don't study in depth very often. And if you take a course of you know women in you know biblical history of women or women in the Bible, I, I, I like took that, a they, harlots and heroines course by Diane Jacobson when I was in seminary. So yeah, yeah I took a women of the Reformation course, but it didn't. Obviously, Reformation is not biblical, so yeah. <clears throat> so we did not talk about women in the Bible so much. So you don't really. This is one of the stories that you. Okay, you're familiar with the characters, but you don't really look into in depth. And you know, I'm, I'm reading through this text, and I'm like, I literally was like, wait a minute. I went back and read it again. She's like, did they did they really give her a choice? Now maybe she didn't really have a choice. Which is my my suspicion is they gave her a choice, but she really didn't have a choice. But she she made the choice at least in terms of what like. Um... Correct. And she got to go. It, it was Correct. kind of on her terms as opposed to completely 100% on somebody else's terms. Um, it yeah. was, 
you know, the one guy was like, I want to go right now. And I mean, she's still working within the context of other people dictating to a certain degree what her you know life is. And this is the one place she was allowed to exert some kind of um, choice, you know, her brother and is all, well, no, we want her to stay here while we, you know, celebrate and do X, Y, and Z. And, and um, what'd you call him, Tom? Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, Tom, Tom the servant. Tom the servant was like, yeah, no, I need to get back now. My, my, you know, Isaac can't wait. <laughs> um, something I found, I always find interesting in this story, number one, and I, I, I was happy to see I was not the only person who recognized this because um, our deacon Cheryl was sitting back in the media booth with me because she was around the slides that day. And she leaned over kind of in the middle of your sermon. And she said, this story, Isaac really doesn't play much of a role. And I kind of smiled and I said, no, in fact, this whole scenario of their relationship is really focused on Rebecca um, and not focused on Isaac. So if we really wanted to get technical and talk about this God of um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you're following who the stories concentrate on, it's much more the God of Abraham, Rebecca, and Jacob, (laughs) because it's Rebecca's faith that moves her from where she's at to this completely unknown place that she's going to be going now. Um, and Mary, you know, sight unseen going to, to marry this guy. And I also love, there's just a little kind of fun thing in the Hebrew that we don't translate very well, but when she sees Isaac working in the field, uh, she literally falls off her camel. I mean, like, she's like, Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) You know, (laughs) awesome. (laughs) This maybe isn't going to be so bad after all. Um, and, you know, quickly then puts her veil on and, and adjusts, adjusts everything, but it's kind of this sort of romantic sort of, you know, oh, well, look, this all worked out, um, moment, but the focus of this story always is, is Rebecca, Rebecca's actions, things Rebecca's doing, whether for good or for ill, um, cause you know, later on in the story, she does some questionable things. Um, and, but at the same time, again, these women are working within the, the context of what they've, they've got, got to work with, so to speak. And if you remember the promise that's given to Rebecca is given not to Isaac, but to Rebecca about the children. So God it right. says that directly to her, not to Isaac. So she's the one that's kind of in the know of what's supposed to happen with her children. And now perhaps she should not have pulled an Abraham and decided to take matters into her own hands to make sure that, you know, God's promise came about. But the point is, is that there, right. uh, Isaac's just a very passive character in this whole, whole story. It's, it's Re- Rebecca always, um, doing the movement, doing the action, receiving the promise. Um, and the one, and even when, when Isaac does speak uh, where he, he actually prays and he prays on Rebecca's behalf. It's interesting that he does not pray 
for him to have heirs. It's not so that I can have, you know, my legacy continue. It's this is important to my wife and she wants this. So will you please grant it to her? Um, so, Which also, I mean, let's give him credit for that. Yeah, that's absolutely. Not, that's, that's not a norm. No. And, and he's the only kind of, one of the patriarchs that's faithful to his wife. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> I mean, again, it kind, of, it kind of goes back to, you know, the whole women property thing. It's like, we don't value their opinion. We don't value what they need or want. And here, here he's being valued or he's valued his wife. Yep. What, 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 what a novel concept. Yeah. Um, it's like, Hey, will you give my wife this? Because my wife wants this, <laughs> you know, this is something. And I'm sure, and yeah. he, I'm sure knew, um, he knows his own society. So he knows the value and the worth that is attached to her in terms right. of her ability to have children. And that theme of barrenness that just kind of keeps resurfacing throughout all of the, the matriarchs. I, I know we've, I know we've talked about this and I'm assuming most people by now have, have watched the handmaid's tale. Mm-hmm. And you know, so like kind of drawing some parallels because there's, I mean, it's very, I wouldn't say it's biblically based, but there's definitely a biblical undercode to the Handmaid's Tale. They're pulling stuff out of, of essentially the Old Testament. There's not a whole lot of New Testament in, in it. Um, they pull Correct. stuff out of the Old Testament in terms of how, how to organize their society, which maybe um, the Old Testament society isn't, some, isn't a model so much as it is a warning of how not to do things, but. <laughs> Correct. But so, so it's kind of interesting, you know, reflecting back to the Handmaid's Tale, reading through like the, like the old, because it's so Old Testament based and reading these stories of women in the Old Testament and going, huh, you know, it's, it's just so, frankly, it's scary. Um, and it's one thing to read it in scripture, right? It's like, okay, so that's scripture and you know they, they used to do things that way and we've we've evolved and gotten to the point where you know i would say we, we know better as a as a as a statement mm-hmm. um and then you like watch something like the handmaid's tale and you go oh that's not set in the, in, in the past that's set in the future yeah and it's like huh and then you kind of watch, you know, society today. We go, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, Hand, Handmaid's Tale was supposed to be a warning, not a guidebook. Um, yeah, and, and I think I think you you know you kind of hit it earlier because the Old Testament, well, you you said it indirectly, um, directly and indirectly. You know, it's, the, the Handmaid's Tale is really based on the Old Testament, not the New. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder why. Um, yeah. <laughs> And, and I mean, frankly, Jesus doesn't subscribe to this crap. I, mean, yeah. I think that that's the reality. No, um, Jesus interacts with women in very different ways, and, um, and is not is is not exactly celebrated for it. Um, yeah. You know, why are you talking to that woman? Why are you talking? Well, you can't talk to the woman at the well. You can't talk. To because like, uh oh, a well. <laughs> Jesus was yeah. like, uh, yeah, I can. And I just did, um, you know, Jesus kind of like flipped all those things, all those things on their head. So it's, it's just really interesting looking to go digging into these old Testament texts 
and then reflecting on things like the Handmaid's Tale, where they used them, and you go, well, that this is surely, surely we have learned by now the value of of women in society and in the world, and it was kind of interesting. We talked, you mentioned briefly about Rebecca doing some uh, dubious things. And yeah, like, yeah, maybe we should be celebrating her for, you know, tricking, tricking her husband. Her, yeah. Tricking her husband. And, and, but then on the flip side, it's also <coughs> for me, kind of speak to the resourcefulness. Yep. That well, she, like that I said, she's we, like, I have to, I have this call from God, this this message from God that this is the way to go, and nobody's going to buy that. And she's super resourceful in in making it happen. Again, not necessarily condoning the deceiving her husband and yada yada yada, but it's well, pretty yeah, impressive I, how. Yeah, and there's um, also this. Uh, I, I guess you might call it. I don't know the the, the notion um, of these women having to work within, like I said, within the confines of what society has given them, and we can look back on it with our own societal values and try to impose those on them and say, well, you know. Couldn't they have done something different? Couldn't they have found another way? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, part of the way I look at it is um, these, these women are, they have difficult choices to make. And they have diff- difficult um, things that are very limited by their, their social context um so we sit there and go well were all of her choices honorable <laughs> you know were all of these the best choices um it's it's the backseat driver armchair quarterbacking of scripture right well yeah. she could have done this or she could have done that yeah because oppressed people often um resort to what a dominant group considers deception um just to survive just to you know do what needs to be done um, they don't have a choice yeah, because they don't have a choice. And we, of course, then sit back and judge them. And it's like, well, is she just kind of trying to exercise her authority? Because she actually, so this is kind of an interesting thing. If you st- really start digging into what we call the matrilineal kind of lineage of uh, the Old Testament, where part of the reason in Jewish culture, um, it's really important what woman you marry and what her faith is is because the faith is dictated by the mother's side of the family. And so there's this sort of matrilineal prerogative for a transmission of rights to, to the offspring that kind of is in is working in um, conjunction with, but also sort of opposing this sort of patriarchal um, society in which they live. Um, and this is maybe her one way of pushing back a bit against that, you know, well, it's going to be the eldest son. Um, you know, that's, that's how it works. And she's going, well, you know what, actually I maybe get to decide this, (laughs) um, you know, maybe I get to decide which of my children is going to be the one that is quote favored. I I find it interesting that 
you know, Judaism, Old Testament based, is also very female centric. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I, I guess I didn't really pay again something else I didn't pay attention to, just from the sense of you know the 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 faith is based on the wife's faith, the woman's faith, mm-hmm. the faith of the child. Also, and we talked about this as is the larger abortion debate. The abortion debate with in the Jewish faith is the mother comes, the, the woman comes first. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's which, um, the the unborn child get, considered did, property. If you, if we're going to go to a purely you know looking at the scripture, especially Old Testament scripture, um, and and what value is placed on unborn children, if a you know there's a, there's a fight or something along those lines that happens, and and somehow the the um, the mother loses loses her unborn child. Um, they have to pay compensation because it was considered basically again property. It, it was, yeah. it, it was, and and if the mother's life was in danger or anything along those lines, um, again, scripture was the mother was given preference. Um, yeah, it was the, think, the argument of actual life versus potential life. Yeah, I just I find that interesting, being that the Old Testament is very male centric that Jewish faith puts a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, kind of lifts up the, lifts up the female perspective, which I, I find, I find interesting. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot though, like I said, I think probably one of my favorite courses was that harlots and heroines, um, class, just because it, it gave a completely different perspective and way to look at scripture. Um, right. that, so often the women are just plot points for the men, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, well, he needs, you know, he needs a woman for this or that, you know, whatever. And the reality is they, they have far more agency in these stories than I think we give them credit for. Um, it's just that again, who's it written by, it's going to be written by, by men. And so their focus is typically not so much on them, but their stories still manage to kind of infuse it anyway. They, it were women are subversive that way. We, <laughs> we find our way into it anyway. Um, and then you start realizing, Oh wait, like these, these women actually matter to God as well. Um, right. Because like the week before was, was about Hagar and um you know, he saw her and yet it was also still important that he had chosen Abraham and Sarah. And it's like, okay, well, I, I do see Hagar and I'm going to uplift her because she's marginalized, et cetera, et cetera. And yet I, there, there was something about Sarah that was important that God was like, oh, okay. I won't just go with Ishmael. You know, it's like, oh, okay, well, this will work. It's like, no, I, I, I directly said that it's going to be Sarah. Um, I don't know if it was for legitimate, you know, legitimacy reasons or what, what the deal was. But again, also um, Rebecca is chosen, you know, it isn't just some random woman, you know, that, that prayer is a very specific prayer of who, who's, (laughs) um, you know, when I, when I go, I want the woman to say this and the woman comes and says exactly that. 
Well, um, we, 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 we joke around a lot about be careful what you pray for. Right. Because we, we're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. I pray for this. And then you get that, but not in the way you thought or right. you wanted it. So in this instance, Tom, haha, was Tom, very Tom little, hedged his best. He was, <laughs> he was like ridiculously specific with his <laughs> prayer. I mean, like painstakingly so. It's like, so if you're single, walking into a singles bar, you go, okay, okay, God. So I want to meet my wife tonight, but I want to make sure it's the right one. So I want her to be wearing, you know, black jeans and, and red high heels and blah, 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 blah with and, red and lipstick when, and blonde and when she hair. she comes over to me, this is what she says. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's like, whoa, like, like crazy specific. So yeah. if, if you want to know how to pray, yeah, refer to this text. Be specific. Be very specific. Um, yeah. And and like I said, it Rebecca is actually, you know, chosen. It's okay. This is this is who who I have decided is going to respond, you know, this this is my my response to your prayer is this woman. And so there's right. something about her that God was very intentional about. Um, And then, so moving on from Rebecca, we had the the story of then, you know, once, once Jacob uh, tricks his father into um, giving him the the blessing and he's already tricked his brother out of the birthright. um, Jacob actually means in, in Hebrew means usurper or grasper. Um, and so he's, he's kind of into that trickster mode and then lo and behold, he winds up, he goes and, and, um, meets Rachel at a watering hole, um, at the well, because, you know, singles bars, (laughs) that's what those are for. Um, that's the purpose they serve in, in, in most of scripture, um, and there's this, um, you know, he, he falls in love with her. It's this beautiful love story. love at first sight wants to marry her. I mean, we never do really hear what Rachel thinks about eyes or, um, what, what she thinks about Jacob, but we, we know, we know what Jacob thinks about her. Um, so kind of, you know, is willing to work the seven years. And then he gets tricked by two sisters and their identity um, and accidentally marries the wrong one. I still think that that feast, I think the reason they, they put that hole, there was a big feast is kind of to explain how this happened was I think, I, I think Jacob was a little three sheets to the wind um, yeah. on his wedding night, married the wrong girl, woke up the next morning. Oops. <laughs> Um, unfortunately the Vegas laws don't apply. Um, and so, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas really wasn't, wasn't what was going to happen here. And he's stuck with one wife and then has to, um, but he still wants Rachel. So marries the other one, um, as well, like a week later. And I just sit there and think about how, first of all, this story is told completely from the perspective of the men and not at all from the women. 
You, we hear we hear their thoughts on this not one little bit. Um, we don't hear what Rachel thinks. We don't hear what Leia thinks. Um, the only place we kind of get an idea of what they thought of this whole thing what is if you jump forward to chapter 31 and when they're getting ready to um, Jacob's getting ready to leave and wants his wife's opinion on, Hey, should we go? Should we leave Laban? And they're like, you know, forget our father because he sold us, um, didn't care about us and has been spending all the money and whatever. And you know what you do what you want because yeah, forget him. Um, they're, they're not impressed with their father. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. So I find yeah. it very, very interesting that that's kind of one of the places the two sisters actually unite together, um, and are, are committed is in dislike of their father. They, they, they're, they're, they're not fans of Laban. Um, and precisely because he has placed them in this situation. And I mean, I'm sure that, you know, there's probably some resentment and whatever towards Jacob as well. But ultimately I think they're, they're looking at Laban as the, the primary cause of their, of their situation um, that they had no control over. They had no say in. Um, and I feel especially, you know, it's like, oh, well, poor Rachel, she now has to, sh to share her husband. I actually feel more sorry for Leah because she's trapped in a completely loveless marriage um, who has no real hope of anything beyond being literally a baby maker. And I, I just, I, I feel for her. And it's probably why I focused my sermon so much more on her because, um, Yes, Rachel is the one who's barren and she's upset about that and blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of one of those things where she is at least experiencing what it's like to be loved. And Leia doesn't get that. She, she doesn't get to know what it's like to be loved by somebody who she desperately wants to love her. Um, it, it isn't enough for her just to, you know, have this, this guy's kids. Um, she actually wants as, as his wife, as his first wife, um, which, you know, that actually has a certain, um, status that goes along with it as well to be the first wife, as opposed to the second wife, um, that, that, you know, she's, she's desperate for that one thing that she will never get. And I feel for her that, you know, I, I guess in a lot of ways, I almost even identify with her, not that I'm trapped in any kind of loveless marriage, but um, just that, that yearning and that desire to be loved by somebody. And she's not able to ever have that happen in her life. Yeah. Part of me, like, as we're, as we're talking about this, the whole, the whole concept of love and, and women in marriage, especially at that point again not my desire but the way it was you know how often was it there's no way to quantify it there's no way to measure it but it'd be interesting to know um two so two thoughts again verbal processor so literally thinking out loud one how has 
how many women at that point in history would, would have would have said that they love their husband, yeah. right? As opposed to this is who you have to marry. But I think part of that also then goes to you also have to look at you know how the idea of love has changed over time, right? Um, you know as we've as as we've as as we've evolved as society, you know women have let's be honest we're not on equal ground mm-hmm. it's 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 sad to say that still not on equal ground but in terms of the relationship piece of it you know, it's definitely not the same as what it used to be where you know women had zero say blah 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 <clears throat> so be interested to see how the evolution of like i, I wouldn't have to quantify it just the idea of of a loving marriage, what that how that has evolved over right. the years, over the decades, centuries. Yeah. So I think okay. even even if you look, <clears throat> you know, back to the you know, leave it to Beaver, um, you know, just the the role of women in in a in a in a family has changed. You know, you look at leave it to Beaver and you know Ward. Ward Cleaver went off to work and Jude stayed home and was a homemaker. Right. How many women, how many women in today's society, you know, are are homemakers or stay-at-home moms? How many can afford to be? There, well, there, that's you no, know, you know, not <coughs> want to be, but can afford to be. Um, right. I think and, for me, it's and, that question of what what is the what is the more prominent reason for that? Yeah. Is it economics or is it desire? desire. And, and, yeah. And, and I, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, I think I think we've gotten to the point, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm glad we've gotten to the point where women can see themselves in roles other than being a mom and a, and a wife. Right. Um, you know, that can be part of your identity, but for so long that was a woman's identity. You know, they, yeah. they they were their value and identity was as a wife and as a mother. Well, that's not. I mean, not, not that there's not value in that still. But that's not the only place that women seek value anymore or that women have value in society. Yeah. And this is such an interesting, um, I guess, discourse between, you know, b- between the Rachel, Le- you know, thing and, and their roles and and all of that. And the, um, you know, the desire for love and looking at how God fits into this story is kind of interesting to me Um, where once again, God kind of sides with, (laughs) if you want to say God takes sides, God sides with the unloved person. Um, God is siding with Leah and is giving her the children Um, and Rachel actually then winds up barren. Um, you know, eventually she has two kids, but I mean, and this is for, you know, whatever you, however you want to, you know, interpret this story, but she really wants those children um, because of the value society places on it, et cetera. And she thinks that this is what she needs. Um, and it kills her literally. Um so when she has that second child, she dies in childbirth. And I mean, it's just a, it's such a complex story. If you start really digging into all the levels 
um, and where you go with it and how do you interpret it and how do you understand what happens? Um, you know, even, even the relationship between Jacob and Rebecca, um, you know, Rebecca was his mother and because of the choices they made in terms of how to get that, how to get that blessing, um, her favored son, she never sees again. She sends him off to her brother and she, she dies. She never sees her, her beloved son again because of these actions, you know, that, that they took that made her other son so angry. He wanted to kill him. Um, and just looking at, I guess you might say kind of the things women are willing to risk and do even when they know that it's not going to turn out well for them. Scripture is just a mess. It is. These are messy, horrible situations. I feel, I mean, I feel like we, we, we forget, we, we forget that, and, you know, one of the, and again, we, I don't want to be redundant because we've talked about this, you know, multiple times as well, but you know, part of seminary is going and, I don't want to say demystifying scripture, but definitely debeautifying scripture. You know, how many of our those those Sunday school theology pieces are, you know, to borrow a, a phrase from REM, shiny happy people. Yeah. And it's all it's all just rainbows and kittens and unicorns. And then like you dig into these texts and it's like messy and ugly and nasty. And it's unsanitized version is like, I like to call it. It's the, it's it's not what, you know, that, that sanitized version we tend to get sometimes it's the, the, the messiness is there and it's not hard to see if you actually like read the texts. (laughs) and, And my guess is a lot of the, a lot of the struggle people have with, with scripture today. Let me, let me start that over a lot of struggles that some of our older members have with scripture today is a result of the Sunday school days, the Luther league days of shiny, happy scripture where you just kind of look, focus on the, the good parts and don't dig into the mess. Yeah. But I think when you dig, when you dig into the mess, that's, that's where you find that's where you find the 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 heart of the text, the the the, the true message. And it's not always it's not always pretty. It's not always, and it's not pretty. always the answer you're gonna like, right? Um, because here's you know when I, the when I look at this story, you know, there's so many things I struggle with. Obviously, you know the the what comes out in the sermon isn't going to be all the things I really, really struggled with. Uh, (laughs) um, But, you know, it's like, okay, so God favors the unloved. Um, And she gets all these kids and, and actually her children are then the, the children that are going to be important to Israel's history. I mean, Joseph only gets them in trouble in Egypt. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. If you keep reading that Joseph story, there's some really disturbing stuff about how they wind up enslaved. Joseph actually is the one who creates the slave class in Egypt. 
it, it, it's, I mean, it's kind of a, and if you talk to rabbis and stuff, they're kind of like, yeah, Joseph actually is not viewed as a positive character in Judaism because he's the one who sets up this, this into perpetuity slave class that they wind up living in. Um, and that's, you know, that's Joseph, as opposed to Judah, who is Leah's child, is who David and, and Jesus, you know, that's the line they're going to come through. I mean, that's, that's really just some good foreshadowing, right? Because if you look at the New Testament, who's Jesus' favor? Over and over and over, it's the unloved, it's the marginalized, yep. it's the outcast, like mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So I mean, it it shouldn't be it shouldn't be shocking if if you if you know the if you know the New Testament, and most people are more familiar with the New Testament than the Old Testament, the whole Jesus right. thing. Jesus was always always on the side of the marginalized, the unloved, every single time. Right. We don't we don't necessarily attribute that to God, and I think that goes back to you know how how where we focus on those texts of the old testament yeah you know we don't focus on on sarah focus on god's promise to abraham mm-hmm. you know we don't focus on rebecca but you know, god god always 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 like throughout scripture yeah god always that's who god sided with the the part that I guess I struggle with is okay. God, God absolutely is, is siding with, you know, sides with the marginalized. The question that cropped up for me while I was working on this, that I, I, I was like, Oh, don't go down that line of thought because that's a, that's a bad place to go. Was did Leia care? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was, did, did she really care that God, was was giving her these children had sided with her but the end result was still her husband still didn't love her that was the one thing she really wanted and right. never got and i mean she gets all kinds of accolades in terms of what winds up happening um she actually winds up being the honored one she's the one who winds up in the family tomb she's the one that winds up um you know having the lineage she's the one that that has the honor, has all of that kind of stuff. But in this life, she was denied the one thing she really desired and wanted. And she gives glory to God when her fourth child is born because she's given up on her husband ever loving her. Um, And it's just, it's kind of, again, it's the messiness of it. And, you know, what we want to have happen you know, we want God to do something to to Jacob's heart to make him finally see Leah in a different light, and it never happens. And to me, that's sort of just the epitome of 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 our human brokenness, of our human ways in which we are trapped in in cycles and trapped in in. Um, things that God liberates us from, but unfortunately we maybe don't see that liberation in this life. And that's sometimes 
a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, you know, Christianity doesn't exempt you from struggles. It doesn't mean your life is going to be easy. It's, it's, not, a, it's, not, it's not an easy task. Um, and I think that's, that's the struggle. I think that's a struggle with, you know, the, the, the non-believers like, well, what's the point? Like, if there's a God, then why do we have school shootings? If there's a God, you know, why, why do we have cancer? If there's a God, why, you know what I mean? Like, right. like, I think that's, that's one of the struggles. Right. And I think it's you know sort of in this. In this God doesn't with, fix, God doesn't fix our messiness. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's kind of one of the things we're always looking forward to, uh, you know, is that one day our messiness will be fixed. Um, but that's not how God works within how we live in the here and now is that the messiness doesn't get fixed. Um, God gives us promises and we live into those promises as best we can, but there's no magic wand that just fixes everything. Um, and doesn't, you know, necessarily give us what we need or want, um, at any given time. Um, it's a struggle. It, it is, um, you know, it's one of those things I find both hope and despair in, in this story, because, you know, I find, I, I find the hope of, well, at least God loves her, <laughs> you know, and like, and God's doing all these things to make sure that she has honor and that she is uplifted and that, you know, she is at least seen um, in, in history and uh, going forward as being the mother of, you know, who she's the mother of and, and having the honor of being buried in the family tomb. And Rachel is not. Um, and at the same time, it's like, but still her life is kind of really, really sad. I just find it, you know, I, I find it sad. Right. Yeah. And it's like, so where is, yeah, there's consolation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. God. And also seriously, like, why do I have to wait? Yeah. Like, wh why do you have to go through? A lifetime of I'll use the word torment, maybe that's a strong statement in order to have that glory. I, I don't know. I, th I think that's why well, again, it's, I, it's I think, how do we how do we move towards a more just a more you know whatever and it's like, okay, Leah didn't have the love of her husband, but what if she had been allowed to go get a different one? <laughs> you know, what if she had been allowed to find somebody who did love her um, as, as opposed to being trapped in, in the situation she was trapped in? Well, I think, I think that's, I think, you know, conversations like this are kind of what for my, my theology and for my passion for ministry. It's like, okay, so we can wait and we have that promise, right? Like mm -hmm. there is that promise of the, the God loves you promise, right? That the God will restore, restore to, you know, I, all that stuff. Yes, 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 yes. But what if we could use scripture and use our faith to speed up that timeline? Right. Right. Like, maybe it's because I'm really not a patient person, right? Like, <laughs> patience just is not one of my strong suits. 
you know, standing in line at Disney for 90 minutes to ride a ride is was not really, your idea of a good time. I mean, it's <laughs> that that's really testing me. But so so patience is not my thing. Yeah. And then when we look at scripture and we see how long things take, it it it, it blows your mind. Right. Um but I also I also this is this is a really good analogy, right? So new ride at Epcot, Guardians of the Galaxy. So it's brand new. You can only ride it if you get into this virtual queue, mm-hmm. right? So at 7 a.m., you can try and get into this queue. So set an alarm. I must have like blinked or was in a conversation and I look at my phone and it had turned to seven o'clock. So I hit the refresh button. I mean, it was like seven o'clock in 45 seconds Mm -hmm. and I could not get on the ride. I was like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. It's been like 45 seconds. Y'all are crazy. So I happened to see that I could buy a lightning pass for two of us to ride it. There you go. So I bought the lightning pass and I thought, you know, it gave us a time at like 1045, I think was our window. And I'm like, this is too good to be true. Yeah. <laughs> I can just so, purchase my way in. I can just buy so my I, way in. <laughs> so at 1045, Camden and I walked up to the to where the line was. And I showed the lady my thing. I said, is this legit? And she's like, yeah, go on in. I was <laughs> like, oh. So we literally, because the lightning lady go through a different, a different track. We mm-hmm. literally, we literally walked in. And the girl's like, wait here. She's like, okay, go ahead. Like literally, now there's like a 15, like a 10 to 15 minute buildup before you get on the ride, mm-hmm. which is pretty incredibly done. And then it, it was like, Cam and I get off that ride. We're like, oh my God, that was amazing. So they do another virtual queue at one o'clock. Mm-hmm. So literally walking through Epcot, with my with my arm out with my watch with the second hand so that when it got to exactly like i'm literally right i would no i didn't have an alarm set but well i did but then i'm like literally walking and i'm like five four three two one press was able to get us on the ride again well the virtual queue you don't go through the lightning line so you go through Irregular. and you're waiting in line. Well, for this ride, there's actually all kinds of like videos and graphics that explain the concept of the ride hmm. based on the Guardians of the Galaxy. That if you just do the lightning, you never get those things. So you bought so your way it, in, but you missed... You missed a large part of the journey. Yes. So I think <laughs> I think there's some value. There's some value in patience. Some patience. <laughs> I think Jesus has taken it a little bit too far. Yeah, two thousand years but, is a bit, bit of an but, but there there there's legitimately some value in having a slower journey. Right. I, the ride itself was 
amazing both times. But like that, like there's something, there's some value to that backstory that's built waiting in line, which, you know, from the amusement park standpoint, that's one of the things that was really interesting to me that I don't, that isn't typical. Because they've really started to work really hard to make the line more engaging than just mm-hmm. a line. But I, I, so, so I, mean, I, I think there's, there's value in, in having some patience. But I also think there's some value in trying to speed up the process and not just being passive and saying, well, I mean, so, it, I mean, if we, if we decided we were just to be patient and we're like, well, you know, well, maybe someday women won't be property. Women would still be property. Yeah. We, we kind of had to fight for that. We had to, we, we I mean, yeah, we, we had to fight to not. I, can't, I mean, I, I can't believe those darn colored folk are going to, are going to, ruin our our lunch counters and, and we can't get service uh-huh. well <laughs> again if you don't make things uncomfortable things don't change yeah so i think for me i think part of it is speeding up this whole jesus thing now unfortunately <laughs> there, there's some there's some disagreement on what that looks like clearly in the world today yeah there's but, disagreement on that and and also some, um, I guess you might say, you know, to what are our limits in terms of how we're able to, quote, speed up God's timetable on when things happen? Um, yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. And, you know, what what agency do we have over that, really? Um, so let, let, let me rephrase that because, yeah. So yeah. my thought, my thought is more bringing the kingdom of God here rather than waiting to get there, as opposed to going to meet Jesus sooner. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. Just it's, to be abundantly clear. Yeah. It's it's more of the well. If this is the way God wants us to live, why don't we try and make that happen while we're here? Because um, yeah. I, I mean, let's face it. You know, I've we've, we've had this discussion before, but it's sort of one of those things where. If you are not like living a particular lifestyle and then you suddenly or get thrown into another one, um, the adjustment kind of is hard. And so, you know, from, from my perspective is like, okay, if this is the life we actually say we want, why don't we work towards that so that when we actually get that to there, that point, it's not a huge for lack of a better term, culture shock. Yeah, some of y'all are going to be really pissed off and you get to heaven and realize what it is. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, it's like, oh, what? Yeah. Like, oh, Those wait. people? Yep. Oh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, there's Sorry. this, there is this interplay throughout all of scripture of both God's sovereignty and God's will. And human will and the human ability to make a mess of things. Um, but also the human ability to move things along and the, there is, it's like I said, it's a, it's a tricky interplay because I think we talked about this one other time about, you know, what, at what point, um, do you sit back and let God be God and do God's thing? versus sometimes God expects us to, to actually act and do something. 
Um, yep. Some of the texts we have, there's a nice segue into what's coming up. Um, as we move out of the Genesis stories and we move into the Exodus story and the women of the Exodus and they are expected to act. So they aren't expected to just kind of sit around and wait for things to happen. It's no, they have a part to play. And in fact, they are very instrumental in making sure Moses survives. I mean, it takes a whole bunch of women to make sure that, that Moses makes it out of infancy. Um, right. You know, if it isn't for those women, you know, it doesn't happen. And, you know, well, God would, would God have found another way probably, but it takes women acting and the women get rewarded for their actions. Um, you know, this coming weekend is, is Shikra and Pua, the uh, two midwives and, and God rewards them for what they do. You know, it's like, okay, and here you get now families of your own because you, you did this thing, you acted in faith and that kind of moved you, you know, it was, it moved them towards what God was going for which was ultimately the liberation of his people. And in order for that to happen, women had to do things and they had to, again, work within the confines of their culture and be very subversive in how they behaved. Um, They're going to, they're going to break some laws. (laughs) Um, But that's next week. (laughs) For sure. Yep. Foreshadowing. So, so yeah. So next week is we're, we're going to look at um, the subversive ways in which women have to uh, both next week and the week after, because next week is Shipra and Pua and the week after that is uh, Miriam and, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, so we, we get to spend a couple of weeks on kind of the Moses story and how the, the women of the Exodus are so instrumental in making sure that happens. So I think that's kind of it for our time. Yep. Yep. So we invite you to join us for, for, well, of course, this weekend when uh, I believe as long as you're still feeling okie dokie. I, I think it's probably going to be you. Oh, you want I'm, me preaching this weekend? Okay. I think so. Only okay. because it <laughs> seems like I have about a minute and a half to talk before my voice starts to give out. All right. And I, and I don't know that that's, I don't know if, how much that changes between now and Saturday. Okay. So if that works for you. Yeah, I can work on it. Um, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is great. This is also the most I've talked for. Yep. It's just and- hard to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the voice is given out. So. Yeah. It's, it's so weird. Yep. Anyway. All right. Well, we will, uh, I guess we will, we'll talk to you. We'll, we'll have our, our service this weekend and we will talk to you next week about uh, kind of some reflections on Shifra and Pua. So Woo-hoo. see you then. Holy Shifra. Holy Shifra. Bye-bye. Bye everybody.